Let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 12 and 13 this evening. We'll be going back to some of these verses on Sunday. So let's look at chapter 12 and we'll look at just the first verse. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Uh, This is the beginning of the final division of the book of Romans. As you recall, the first eight chapters dealt with um, doctrinal issues. Um, Then we had a break in 9, 10, and 11. Now the emphasis is in this last section is now our duty. We now come to the practical application of the theological argument that Paul has placed before us. So this is um, now our responsibility in chapter 12 to God, our relationship and gifts that the Spirit has given to us we'll be looking at in 12, and then our relationship with other believers, and then our relationship with unbelievers. So let's go back to the first verse where it says, I beseech you, or literally, I beg you, therefore. Now, whenever there's a therefore, you have to go back to what's previously been talked about. So Paul is basically saying here, because of chapter 11, um, we have an obligation and a responsibility uh, to open ourselves up and give ourselves away. The therefore, would I would take you back to chapter 11, verse 6, which is the Lord dealing with why he rejected Israel as a nation. And in verse 6, we read, if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But it's, if it's of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, works is no longer works. So in other words, um, our salvation is predicated upon what the Lord has done for us. There's nothing we can do to add to it. The disciples came to him and said, Lord, what what can we do to have eternal life? And he simply said, believe on him who was sent. What else? Nothing else. Believe in the finished work. When the Lord says, it is finished, it is finished. And it's all about what he did And that's what Paul is saying here. If it's all what he did by his grace, then there's nothing that we can add to that. So that's what Paul is starting Romans chapter 12 out with. He's starting out with therefore, because of grace and what he has done, and there's nothing we can add to it. Therefore, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Everybody knows what the Old Testament sacrifices were. But now we're to give ourselves and basically with an attitude, here here I am, Lord, Um, use me. Isaiah said the same thing when the Lord was saying, well, who can I send? Who will go and speak on my behalf? And Isaiah said, here I am, Lord, send me. And that's basically Paul saying that's a very reasonable thing to do in verse one in the light of all that the Lord has done for us. 
So I beseech you, therefore, brethren, the therefore is all that the Lord has done um, and recorded for us in chapter 11. In verse 2, is the second part of it, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Uh, The conforming process. Um, The world can be very, we'll talk more about this on Sunday, uh, influential on what we think and what we do. And um, we live in a very crazy world right now. Um, and it's changing every day. Um, just within the last couple of days, um, it would be, I'm trying to think of his name. Well, especially what's been happening um, um, in the last, oh, I would say 10 years, with the whole change of thinking and, and philosophy as far as socialism is concerned over our basic constitutional freedom rights that we have. That's at stake right now. And the world is the one that's doing that influencing. So the world can be an influence, but Paul is saying here, don't let that be the thing that models who you are. But rather... Uh, let it be uh, the renewing of your mind, and that is accomplished um, by God's word that you might prove what is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Jesus said, um, let this mind be in you that was in me. And so he took his disciples, 12 of them, And after three years of being with Jesus, day and night for three years, just think about that for a while, how incredible that must have been to walk with the Lord, to be with him every single day. And then (laughs) you got characters like James and John who basically the scripture said they they were short wicks, They they had a temper. And I think it would go off from time to time and that's why Jesus called them sons of thunder and he would call them over and they'd be going through a town and preaching the gospel and um, they wouldn't receive it and so James and John said Lord why not just call fire out of heaven and just toast these guys and the Lord says you do not know what spirit I am of that's not my mind But he did shake the dust off and he just went on to the next person. And you'll find that's the way it is with people that you run into. Some some will be open. And some, you gotta realize, you just gotta shake the dust off and and, uh, just save your breath. And pray that the Lord sends somebody somebody else to be that influence. So um, we talked about justification and sanctification. Again, justification happens the moment you get saved. There's nothing you can do to add to it. You're justified, just as though you've never sinned, is is the way the song goes. But then there's the sanctification process, and that's what this verse is referring to here. That's an ongoing work that can only happen 
in doing what you're doing here tonight. You're, the Bible calls it being washed in the word. So we can either have um, um, the world again being that influence, or we can have God's word being the influence. And what happens over a period of time, and what happened to James and John, I mean, James and John, John went from being this guy with this, this awful temper to writing first, second, third John, the Gospel of John, and the Lord used him um, for the book of Revelation. And when John speaks about himself, he refers to himself when he's writing in the third person as that disciple whom Jesus loved. He doesn't say that disciple who had the hot-headed temper. That's not how he refers to himself. So that's sanctification. Started out with a hot temper, ended up talking more about love than, than um, any of the other gospel writers. Okay, that brings us to uh, verse three. And I say through the grace given to me and to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Now there's a lot of doctrine in this one verse here. The first part of it's pretty obvious and that is don't get big-headed. And um, no matter how gifted you are, no matter how um, the gifts that God has given to you, realize that it's a gift that all good and perfect gifts come from above. But this last part here says, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. That's a very interesting verse. And I'm gonna get a little sidetracked with this one. Have you turned to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, um, the definitive chapter that deals with 12, 13, and 14 are the main chapters that deal with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That's in the, and they're all listed here in chapter 12. Then in chapter 14, Paul gets sidetracked with um, the operation of the gift of tongues. If you go to verse 14, verse 12, it says, even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, we're, and we're told at the end of chapter 12 to earnestly desire these gifts. So we should be seeking after them. But then how to use them is given to us in verse 12, and it ties in with verse three, that your gift will be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. What does that mean? It means that every gift, that whatever gift that the Lord has given to you, with the exception of one, is to be used to build up somebody else. That's what we're reading here in verse 12. Desire the gifts, but then use them for the edification of somebody else other than yourself. The exception is the gift of tongues. If you look at 14 verse four, he says, he who speaks in tongues edifies himself. And the Corinthian church was just totally out of order when it came to the use and misuse of this particular gift. And that's why we have 12, 13, and 14. Now, right in the middle of um, these gifts, and it's gonna come out in our study tonight, that 
we have what we call the love chapter. And they're between chapters 12 and 14. So the heart of using spiritual gifts is really what 1 Corinthians 13 is all about. But I want to draw your attention to verses 4 through 10. And here is a partial list of these gifts. Back in Romans, we talked about the Holy Spirit. Um, God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. All right, let's read 1 Corinthians 12, picking it up in verse 4. Now there are diversities of gifts, different kinds, but it's the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but it's the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So here it is again. The gift that God has given to you is so for the building up of the other for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit. That's one of the gifts. To another, the word of knowledge through the same spirit. To another, faith. Now this is why I brought you here. And what we're learning is that one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is the gift of faith. Well, what are you saying, Dwight? Well, God measures it out, and evidently what is being said here is that it's one of the gifts of the Spirit that has been given to an individual in particular, and um, it's measured out. In other words, some people have more faith than you do, and some people have less. The Lord is the one that measures it out. And to another... Uh, faith in the same spirit, to another the gift of healings by the same spirit, to another the gift of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of the spirit, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Now, verse 11 is important. But one in the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Now hold that and go back to our text In uh, Romans chapter 12, verse three, the last part of it, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Now in verses um, four through 21, we'll stop at verse six here, but let's read four and five. For we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So, we being many are one body in Christ and individual members of one another. Now, if you're taking notes at verses six through eight, we have a partial list of um, the gifts that we read about in 1 Corinthians 12. So let's read verses six through eight, this partial list here. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. First we're to covet them and desire them, but then once you have them, you're to exercise them. It's like anything. If you don't exercise for a while, which I haven't, (laughs) and uh, when you get back into trying to do it, um, 
you realize the importance of keeping up with it. Um, and it's the same with the, the spiritual life and the spiritual gifts. They need to be exercised. Having then uh, gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let's use them. If it's prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. Now let's go back to the disciples and the three years with the Lord. After he had been three years with them, he pulled them aside and he says, now, I want you to go into all the world and I want you to preach the gospel. And I want those who believe, I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then he says this, and teach them whatsoever things I taught you. So that's what's being brought up here in um, our learning. The things that the Lord has taught us, or particularly here in the area of teachers, I believe that um, when it talks about in Ephesians, a pastor teacher, I think they go hand in hand. I don't think you should be a pastor unless you have the gift of teaching. Um, There are many churches today that are getting away from this and they're gravitating more towards, let's be careful not to offend anybody. Let's be careful not to say anything that might get people upset. And um, we don't want to, we don't, them, we call it being seeker sensitive. Now, if you want that kind of a church, they're around. You'll be able to find them and they'll tell you exactly what you want to hear. One of the great things about doing what we do, this chapter by chapter and verse by verse, is you have to deal with every issue. So if you want to talk about the use and misuse of the gift of tongues, well, chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians gets into detail. No speaking in tongues in the public church service. And yet you have the hyper-Pentecostal church where that's where it's all about. You know, they're jumping over the pews and there's singing in tongues and speaking in tongues and it sure looks spiritual, except the problem with that is Paul clearly says, don't do it. Because especially in a setting like this, we have people watching live stream, we have visitors every single Sunday, uh, new people coming, just checking us out, so on and so forth. Paul says if a visitor comes in who's a non-believer and they see this three-ring circus going on, they're gonna say you're crazy and turn around and walk out the door. So there's a clear mandate that you shouldn't do that in the public service. Now, I know I told the story before, but it always makes me think of Stuart Briscoe. The one time that I visited his church in Elmbrook, Wisconsin, and there was a woman up in the balcony right in the middle of the Bible study And she just let loose. (laughs) And she was just wailing away in tongues. And I remember Stuart just standing back. He pointed his finger at it and says, you, sit down. (laughs) Just like that. And uh, he was very, very firm. He called for the ushers. He says, take her out. And then he got back into the pulpit. He opened his Bible to 1 Corinthians 14 and he simply read it. And he says, now do you understand why I did what I did and everybody was uh, it was a great learning experience for me because I was a young believer at the time 
And um, um, so all things are to, that chapter ends, by the way, by saying, let all things be done, how? Decently and in order. Have you noticed that when we come up here, the worship team always practices? I don't know if you know the amount of time and energy that they put into um, their worship, but they're always practicing. They're always here ahead of time. Um, I know they're up very early in the morning, and um, they sang one of my favorite songs, Bruce Carroll's song tonight, I Want to See You. I think it's one of the most beautiful songs I've ever heard. Um, right now I have just aching in my heart with everything that's going on. And right now all I really want to do is be at home and see your face. I want to see you, Lord. And um, it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful song. Um, Bruce was here one time. And um, it was, I, th- I think it was that song that came up. And I said, this is one of my, my favorite songs. Bruce was in the back coming out to do special music. And I says, this song is done by Fernando Ortega. And he goes, no, that's, that's me. I said, no, it's not. I says, that's Fernando Ortega. And he says, Dwight, I know my own voice, that's me. And I says, no, it's not. It's Fernando Ortega. And I, and, um, the guy who was, who was ever in the sound room just happened to come in. And I said, all right, we'll settle this right here, right now. It was on one of the um, praise albums, I think. I said, who's singing this song right now? He said, Bruce Carroll. <laughs> and, uh, but what a beautiful song that, that is. I just want to see you. So let's go back to our gifts. We got sidetracked on... Um, the, the gift of teaching, every pastor um, should have that, that gift. Why? Um, for the equipping of the saints so that you could do the work of ministry. We come here, we get fed. How do we get fed? How do we get our mind renewed? Bible study. Bible study. And then another Bible study. And that's Acts 2.42. You know, that's the outline for the way the churches operate. The apostles' doctrine, which is the teaching, prayer, communion, and fellowship. And whenever I mention those four things, I always say that's doable in the long run without adding anything to that. And then it goes on to say, if you just do that, then the Lord will add to the church daily those who are being saved. So they come into an environment and they see the the beauty of the worship. And then the Holy Spirit gets a hold of a Bible study and it ministers and feeds and edifies and exhorts. And what does it do? Well, it equips you so that you can go back to your people that you have a a sphere of influence in, in the home, on the job site, wherever it is. It always amazes me when a person just steps out in faith and begins to share their faith all of a sudden you can realize, hey, I'm really not in control of this conversation at all. But it's the Lord. And I can become aware of it when it happens to me. You can become aware of it when it happens to you. And it's a wonderful experience to have. So let's get back to um, in ministry, he who exhorts, verse eight, in exhortation, he who gives with liberality. 
In other words, there's actually a gift for those who God has blessed financially. Here, it's referred to as one of the gifts. Do it. Do it with liberality. It also says in another place that the Lord loves a cheerful giver. The word there is hilarious. And there's this freedom, not out of constraint, that I have to give a certain amount. But if uh, God has blessed you financially, then he says do it with liberality. He who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So verses six through eight is this partial list and um, um, the gift of faith is um, proportionally given out by the Holy Spirit. All right, in verses nine, let's pick it up. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Um, What is evil right now? Who was I talking to? I think it was T.A. McMahon about the conference coming up and we're, we're talking about just how bad it's getting in the public schools. And no, it wasn't. Uh, whoever I was talking to, one of the speakers coming to the conference, we got sidetracked talking about how can anybody send their kids to the public schools these days? And they wanted to know um, how we handle it here. I said, well, I know that there's a lot of homeschoolers that, that are because they won't allow their kids to go to the public schools anymore because of the things that they're teaching and, um, well, the homosexual lifestyle, uh, the gay and lesbian lifestyle, clearly taught and graphic on top of it. And we're told here that we're to hate what is evil and cling to what is good. And it says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another. Another place it says, you're to esteem your brother higher than yourself. And that's the attitude, um, well, that's, that was the attitude that the Lord had. He said, come and learn of me, uh, who I am. I'm lowly and meek in heart and meek in spirit. He wasn't flash, he wasn't show. And... Um, we had a saying about Pastor Chuck because he was so down to earth. And, um, you know, this was one of his Chuckisms. Simply teach the word of God simply. Simply teach it simply. And that's what the Lord did. And what happened? Well, the multitudes were all over it because of, of his mannerism and the way that he conducted himself. Um, we used to say about Chuck, one of his Chuckisms was, um, it's not necessarily what is taught as much as is what is caught. And what I mean by that is the way that the Lord handled his body language with the multitudes. Again, it wasn't, it wasn't flash, it wasn't any of that stuff. It was just the opposite. And um, we caught that by just watching Chuck teach. We also got a great Bible study, but his mannerism and how he's pre- presented it was something that we caught just as much as we, as was taught. Somebody want to give me an amen on that one? Haven't asked for one yet tonight. Okay, all right. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoice in hope. 
patient in tribulation. Now, that's a tough one for the time that we're going through right now because our world really is um, um, going through great turmoil worldwide. I'll be telling the story about what's going on in France in just a, a second here. And uh, then continuing steadfastly in prayer. That means having your own prayer life, number one, but it also means that we have, have a men's prayer group that meets every Saturday morning. We have a women's group that meets every Saturday morning, and we've been doing that for 40 years. And um, that's what steadfast means. Can make sure you keep doing that. One of my highlights of the week. Distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. Now, we're not talking works here. We're talking about a natural attribute of the love of God. And um, the Bible says, if it's in your means to help somebody, in other words, you have the ability to do it, and you don't do it, then Paul says, how can the love of God dwell in you? Because the love of God does just that. So given to hospitality, distributing to the needs of the saints. And so, of course, you know, what comes to mind is Haiti. And, um, um, you know, to the least of these, my brethren, um, being liberal uh, in making sure their needs are met. It says, now on a, on a personal note, bless those who persecute you. Well, that's not what you want to do. You want an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth right now. You slap me. The Bible says, um, turn the other cheek. I was, uh, we were teaching on this very thing one time at uh, a conference in Haiti. And Basti would have to interpret from the English into Creole. And so I would speak, and then you only can say so much, and then he would translate into Creole so people would know what's going on. And we got to this verse where it says, if somebody strikes you on the, the cheek, turn the other cheek. And Bastia translated it in Creole, and um, I just got a little bit of prankster in me, not too much, but just a little bit. So I look at Bastia like this, and I go, Bastia, it's time for an illustration. And I whacked him, and I whacked him good. And then I went like this. I'm waiting, Bastia. And he finally got it, and he goes, (laughs) and he turned the other cheek. But the illustration was made, and everybody, of course, thought it was hilarious that I would smack him that good. And, um, And he knew what he had to do, but everybody got the point because of the illustration. Bless those who persecute you. You don't want to do that. You want to bless them. You want to punch them out. And, um, and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Oh, a baby was just born. Praise the Lord. Here's a cigar. We're rejoicing with you. Oh, your mother just died. Oh, man, that's tough. It's one thing when it's a friend. It's one thing it's a brother or sister in a church. But it's another thing if it's your mother. Even if they're saved, it's still your mother. And there's those mixed emotions. And I, I can't do a funeral without dealing with this verse right here. Weep with those who weep. And when we're at a funeral, and there's family there, I say straight out, I said, this is mixed emotion time. 
we're glad this person is in heaven. We rejoice in that. But the reality is, we love this person, we're gonna miss him. And we're not gonna see him again until we get home. So you weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinions. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. And I like this because it's, uh, the first word here is if. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. This is one of the most honest verses in the Bible because we know that in the flesh, we want to, re- we want to respond that way. So if it's possible, get out of the flesh, let God's word come in, don't repay evil for evil, as much as depends on you. How much can you muster up to do the right thing right here instead of taking matters into your own hands and live peaceably with all men? Why? Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So I got down in my notes here, no one gets away with anything. And what this is actually a quote from, again, whenever we get to an Old Testament scripture, I like to connect the dots. So let's go back to the book of Leviticus. And we're looking at chapter 19. Leviticus 19, looking at verse 18. This is where it comes from. And Paul is actually quoting this as he goes through this list of our responsibility to um, believe believers and unbelievers and how they're to be treated. All right, verse Leviticus 19, verse 18 says, you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, for you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So Paul lifts this from the book of Leviticus. You can go back to Romans and quotes Leviticus 19, 18, and said, this is um, also referred to as a New Testament illustration of heaping coals of fire on a person's head. I always thought that was one of the strangest analogies because it says, um, therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Well, that's not what he's expecting you to do. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. In so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. I think it's one of the craziest analogies in the scripture, but this comes from Proverbs. I won't have you turn there. Chapter 25, verses 21 and 22. So again, quoting in these two verses, we have two Old Testament prophecies fulfilled. The heaping coals of fire on their head, in other words, getting something that they're not expecting, and it really sets them back. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. End of chapter 12, chapter 13. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authority that exists are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinances of God, 
and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. I'm going to give you an illustration of this in just a bit. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be do you want to be unafraid of the authority? That's a question. Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. Now, one of the tragedies that's happening right now is the lawlessness that's breaking out because of the defunding of our police departments. And as a result, uh, evil is triumphing because there's no authority to keep people doing the right thing. I watched, um, it was on local news, a couple kids walking into a Target store, filling up their backpacks, and just walking right out. And um, some guy was videotaping them, saying, hey, what you doing? And um, they knew they would not get arrested, and they knew the police wouldn't do a thing about it. And that's why the Lord is, I'm using the illustration here, of the authority of the police to keep things, um, they do what is good. They, for he is God's minister to you for good, but if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. We call it law enforcement. And they're an authority. That's why they have their badge on. Therefore, Now we have a therefore because of what we just read. Because God has established order, not only in the church, but also in society. And we're we're to pray for the authorities that are over us. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Uh, Render, therefore, to all who are due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 22, and let's pick it up in verse, let's pick it up verse 17. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness. This is because a couple of verses before, the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him with talk. Um, he was never making mistakes, so maybe we can trip him up and get him in trouble with a trick question. And so they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you're true and you teach the way of God is true, nor do you care about what everybody thinks, basically, for you do not regard the person of men. Therefore, so here's the trap question that they're throwing out before him. Taxes. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, perceiving their wickedness, said to them, why do you test me? He knew all about what was going on behind the scenes. He knew what they were going to say before the before they even said it. Why do you uh, test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius. What's interesting to me about this is evidently the Lord didn't have any money. 
He didn't have a coin in his pocket to take out for himself. He said, well, let's see. I'll reach my pocket here and pull out some money. He didn't have any. He goes on to say that foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of God, the creator of the universe, doesn't have anywhere to lay his head. Lord, where are we going to sleep tonight? James and John are saying, I don't know. I'll let you know when we get there. <laughs> he didn't know where he was going to sleep that night. He didn't have a coin here. And he said, whose image and inscription is on it? And they said, Caesar's. And talk about putting some guys in their place. He says, fine. Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. What did we just learn in the first part of chapter 12? We're to render our bodies, what? A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. That's what he wants you to render to God. But also, it's against the law not to pay your taxes. All right, let me tell you a story. Let's go back to Romans, and while you're going back to Romans, I'll tell you a story. Oh my goodness, it has to be 30 years ago. And um, he's a friend of mine, I haven't seen, his name is Kent Hoven. He's um, down in Pensacola, um, Florida, uh, with the creation. Uh, that's, that's his main thing, and I brought Kent up. Oh, I can't tell you how many times. And um, he was of the firm conviction that his ministry should not pay taxes. And so he refused to do it. And um, I remember going out for lunch, and I said, Kent, we need to talk over lunch. I says, he said, what do you want to talk about? I says, what you're talking about from the pulpit and your stance against not paying taxes because um, you believe that this is from the Lord, therefore I shouldn't pay taxes. And I opened him up to these very scriptures here over lunch. And I says, the scripture, this, this is not a gray area at all, Kent, not gray at all. This is black and white. The Bible says we are to pay taxes. And if you don't, you're gonna get yourself in trouble. He didn't pay his taxes, and he spent eight years in prison. Eight years. And I pleaded with him. I said, this is what's going to happen, Kent, because there's laws of the land, and they're not gonna have the same mindset that you have, And just because we're a Christian, that doesn't exempt us. Because if I go 50 miles an hour down 25 mile an hour street and I get pulled over, um, all right, I'll tell us a personal story here about me. This is not in my notes. But the last time I was pulled over, you know how they go back and they check things out? When's the last time you got a ticket? He says, this is your last warning. (laughs) He had looked at it. He says, one more, no more warnings. The next time you're pulled over, it's ticket time. And um, um, what, what can you do? Um, I actually, th- I said, well, um, thank you for giving me a warning, number one. And are we done with the uh, ticket talk now? And he says, what do you mean? I said, well, I just want to thank you for doing your job. Because usually people don't say nice things about police. But I want you to know that we appreciate what you're doing. And can I give you something? And he says, well, what? So I handed him a God of wonders. And I said, I don't believe 
and coincidences. Now, he could have taken that completely the wrong way, justifying maybe getting out of a ticket. But I saved that. I said, we're done with the ticket stuff, right? Okay. He says, yeah. Next time it's the ticket. I'll give you a warning this time. And so I thanked him. But I said, I believe this is a coincidence. I was speeding. That was wrong. But I believe even that can be used by the Lord. And I just want to give you this, and you'll enjoy it, hopefully with, with your family. And he said, well, thanks a lot. And I hope the next time I get pulled over, it's not him. <laughs> nope. Um, I hope, there's so many, isn't there so many years that goes by and you get a clean slate or something like that? I don't know. My wife is thinking, stop talking. Get back to the Bible study. <laughs> she nods her head. All right, so um, that, that's a true story with, with Kent. He spent eight years in jail for not paying his, his taxes. All right, uh, verse eight through 10. Oh, no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves one another has fulfilled the law. And then it goes on and it quotes um, the first four commandments of the Ten Commandments is our relationship to the Lord. Thou shalt have no other God, you shall not make any graven images, and so on and so forth. And then the, the next six is um, the commandments and how we deal with our brothers and sisters and people in the world. And that is what he's pointing out here. He says the law, if you... Um, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves one another has fulfilled the law. And the question is, how can love fulfill the law? And he says what the law is. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, and all summed up in a saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So he's saying here that if you love your brother, then you'll fulfill the law. The question is how? Well, simple. If I love you um, and you love your wife, you're not going to be thinking about committing adultery because of love. You're not going to be thinking about killing somebody because you love them. You're not thinking about stealing your neighbor's lawnmower. Why? Because you love them. And because of love, stealing is not an option. I can't do that to my neighbor because I love him. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And um, that's the natural result of you loving another person. You will not do these things against them. Therefore, verse 8 sums it all up. Don't owe anyone anything. Because if you just love them, the rest of it is just going to fall in order. It's a natural progression. All right, love does no harm to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So in these last four verses here, it sums up chapter 11. In these first um, uh, seven, I actually got ahead of myself just a little bit. I wanted to, in these first seven verses, we did talk about the taxes, but it's, um, it goes farther than that when it talks about the authorities that are over us. And I got a little bit of time, so I'm going to regress and go back to the authorities that are over us and give you something that's unfolding as I speak 
in France right now. Um, uh, president um, Macron is the president of France. Okay, on Monday, he made a new mandate. And the mandate was that you could not go into any restaurants um, without showing that you've been um, vaccinated. And he says, if you do, and we find out about it, you'll not only be penalized, but you're going to jail. And then he says, now I want to speak to the people who own the restaurant. If you let somebody come in who doesn't have proof of the fact that they've been vaccinated, then you're the one that's going to get fined, and you're the one that's going to go to jail. And it is a, um, such a heavy mandate that he put out. This was, I think it was breaking on Monday when I first heard about it, that people... Um, there is a place, turn with me to Acts 4, it is something that I want to look at. There is an exception to this rule that we're talking about here with authority. And in Acts 4, let's look at verse um, 18. They were preaching the gospel. And verse 18 says, And they called them and commanded them that they should not speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Um, he was referring to people was Peter was speaking and he was preaching the gospel but Peter and John answered and said to them whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you you're an authority right now or more than to God you be the judge so we're just reading here that we're to be submissive to those who are in authority over us I'm using the people now in France if they're Christians, they should, they look at this and they said the Bible says that we have to do what our president says because he's an authority over us. And in this case, they revolted and they, they had thousands of people. You know the tent cities that they put up, once you get checked out, you're, you're tested positive and they wanna quarantine you and they'll put you in these tent cities. Well, thousands of them went all throughout France and Greece, and they burned them to the ground. And they, when I'm using this as an analogy, there's a time when you don't listen to the authority if it goes over a higher authority. And in this case, what Macron is doing is wrong. Um, and the people finally said, we've had enough, and we're simply not gonna do it. Um, we're not gonna lose our jobs because of this, and we've had it up to here with your rules and, and regulations. And um, then they went to the testing clinics and they burned those down. Um, you can go online and just Google violence in France right now and it'll actually show you footage and, and videos. So this is something that you can track out yourself. All right, I don't, don't want to get too far off here, but there's another side. Let's go back to Romans as we close up. There's another side to this um, authority, and that is um, do it and be obedient to it if it's not something that would be against what the Lord would have you do. All right, let's finish up. We are in verses 11 through 14. And do this, 
knowing the time, that now it's high time to wake out of our sleep. Boy, I could stop and spend a lot of time in this verse. Knowing the time. Are you guys aware how late it really is right now? With everything that's happening, some of the things that are happening right now are going to be taking place in the tribulation. There's people out there saying right now that we're in the tribulation, don't take the shot because it's the mark of the beast. And some some of these speakers on radio they just have that much Bible knowledge and they're dangerous. And they go by what somebody has told them rather than having a solid foundation in the Lord. And they discredit some of the good stuff they say as a result of it. So for the record, the vaccine that's there right now is not the mark of the beast. And you guys are all aware of that. And, um, but what it is, it's a sort of a precursor of what's going to be. I mean, the technology and everything is set up for that. But that scripture taking the mark of the beast does not happen according to Daniel 9, 27 until the very middle of the tribulation period. So in other words, if we got raptured tonight and Moses and Elijah show up as the two witnesses tomorrow and there's a, a treaty that is signed with Israel, Daniel 9, 27 says it's gonna be for seven years. And in the middle of the seven years, he's gonna break that peace treaty with Israel and he's gonna command the whole world to worship him and to take his name or the number of his name on your right hand or on your forehead. And you all know that the technology is existing today. Again, um, they're talking about having you be able to be traced whether or not you've been inoculated by manipulating your cell phone. And they will be able to tell uh, whether you do or you do not have um, the ability to enter this place because of uh, what they, they have with these new phones. All right, I'm getting a little sidetracked here, but all that to say this, it's late. So we are to watch our P's and our Q's, in other words. That now is high time to awake out of our sleep. And I'm, I'm, I'm discouraged when I look at the state of the church today and they don't even know what the tribulation is. They've heard of the mark of the beast. That's all they really know about the book of Revelation is that couple of those verses. Not only that, they can't warn people about knowing the time. What does 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 1 says? Knowing the times and the seasons, brethren. We do. If you read your Bible, you know what's coming. And so I can stand up here and categorically say beyond any shadow of a doubt that you don't have to think about the mark of the beast. We're not gonna be here, number one. We can't. God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. Wrath is coming on this. That's Revelation 6, verse 17, the wrath of the Lamb. And it'll be poured out for that seven-year period of time, but that mark that people are talking about now and equating it to the shot, no, no. That's very poor theology, and people who know their Bible, they're rolling their eyes, they're going, oh, no, I wish you wouldn't have said that, because now he's just discredited some of the good stuff that he may have been saying. Everybody 
tracking with me on that? All right, let's finish it up. Um, knowing the time that our salvation is nearer than we first believed. That's a great scripture. We're one day closer than we were yesterday to the Lord's coming. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of, of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in licentiousness and lewdness, uh, not in strife and in envy. And it ends on this great exhortation. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Present yourself a living sacrifice to the Lord. And like Isaiah, here I am, Lord. I'm available. Send me. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. And all God's people said, Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. And as we go home, we thank you um, for chapters 12 and 13 and how they pertain to us in a real practical way and how we're to respond to you and how we respond to our neighbors. And um, we're grateful, Lord, for, for your word and the exhortation it brings to us. We know the time is late. And as the scripture closes, it says, let the spirit and the bride say, come, even, even come, Lord Jesus. Amen and amen.